everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Joe Kimmock is the progressive candidate running for Broward County State Attorney in Florida. He's part of a series of progressive prosecutors running across the country on a reform platform. Welcome to our show, Joe. Thanks so much for having me, David. So maybe you can explain uh, kind of your background and why you're running for state attorney. Sure. Um, I am the proud oldest son of a single mom. Um, We were raised on food stamps and soup kitchens. Um, Had an extraordinary uh, a lot of love growing up, um, but I always just kind of wanted to um, use that experience um, to really fight institutional poverty. Um, that's what I wanted to do when I uh, went to undergrad um, and then eventually law school. Uh, I took a break in between um, university and, and law school. I, I did teach for America um, and taught high school English. Uh, in an inner city low-income school in Houston for three years um, before eventually going to Vanderbilt. Um, when I graduated from Vanderbilt, I had a whole bunch of opportunities to go to big cities and and, um, and make a lot of money. Um, but I, I really kind of knew that I wanted to do something useful with my uh, law degree and um, decided to become a prosecutor. Um, I actually started here in Broward County in the prosecutor's office um, because I believed in justice. I wanted to wear the white hat. I wanted to help keep people safe. Um, having really very little understanding of what the criminal justice system actually looked like. Um, when I started here at the state attorney's office, I started in the juvenile division, um, and I was prosecuting kids that looked and acted uh, very much like the kids that I had just been teaching just a few years earlier. Um, and I grew really kind of more and more uncomfortable um, as I kind of raised up, rise up through uh, the ranks here at the state attorney's office. Um, I grew particularly uncomfortable with how easy it was to send folks to prison for, for very long periods of time for mostly nonviolent offenses. Um, and there were many days when I looked around the courtroom, but it, the courtroom was always packed. It's uh, uh, um, uh, every day was, we were lugging, you know, boxes and boxes of files. 
Um, and I, I'd looked around the, many days. I'd look around the room, and, and uh, the lawyers would be the only white faces in the room. Um, the day that my life really changed, I was in an airport in Atlanta, and I picked up uh, the new Jim Crow, the book by Michelle Alexander, um, and she was really, she was able to articulate for me everything that I could feel was wrong with the system, but hadn't been able to articulate it for myself. Um, a couple months later, I was gone. I have been an indigent criminal defense lawyer for the last five years now. I work for an agency called the Office of Criminal Conflict and Civil Regional Council. Um, we represent indigent folks, everything from misdemeanors up to homicides, up to death penalty. Um, and I love this job. I, I'm able, I've been able to help lots and lots and lots of people. Um, but I know that for every single person that I'm able to help, there's a hundred more behind them that are trapped in this criminal legal system that um, is very much designed to uh, suck them in, push them out, and, and, and oppress them. Um, and so I... Uh, about two, two and a half years ago, uh, my wife gave birth to our son, um, and it terrified me to think that um, he was going to uh, grow up in a community uh, that, in our current kind of criminal justice community, um, my, my son is, is half black, and I was just knew that I had to do everything in my power to dismantle mass incarceration, and the best way to do that is with a new state attorney. Um, so I announced the campaign back in March, uh, and we have had an extraordinary amount of uh, support and excitement. Um, people here are really, really ready for change. And when is the election? August 18th, 2020 is the Democratic primary. Uh, I'm running as a Democrat. Um, there are eight of us now in the primary and then the general will be in november wow so a long way away still yes sir um and and what does the race look like at this point so we have eight folks in the democratic primary we have one independent um we have maybe two candidates that are running on kind of status quo um uh, issues. Uh, we have a number of candidates that are running on uh, change, um, on a change platform, but it, it's kind of a nibble around the edges platform. Um, and then we have me uh, that is uh, really just running on a, a, a campaign to upset the whole system, um, to make diversion the rule, not the exception. Um, I'm the only candidate who's come out against the death penalty. Um, and so, you know, we've got this lane um, that we think is is what voters are wanting, and, and we're optimistic about it. And, and can you kind of describe what Broward County looks like? Because I think, you know, people think Florida, but Broward County is not like Florida or the rest of Florida, mm -hmm. is it? No, it's not. Um, Broward is, is a very blue county. Um, 
We are we are 1.9 million people, which is bigger than 13 different states. Um, about half of the registered voters are registered Democrats. Um, the other half is kind of split between Republicans and Independents. Um, and we are a very, very diverse community. We have uh, amazing, um, any kind of food that you want is here, any kind of music that you want is here. It's really just a, a wonderful place to, to raise a family. Um, but we've got, we've had a, we've had a state attorney who's been in office for the last 44 years. Um, he was elected in 1976, um, and has always very much kind of ruled with, uh, law and order iron, iron fist. Um, and it's, it's really an exciting time to, to finally get some change here in the, in the community. So I was kind of hoping you could uh, shed a little light on the distance between you and the other challengers in the Democratic primary. I mean, really, what sets you apart from them? Sure. Um, there are a couple of, like I said, there are a couple of other candidates that are uh, running on change. Um, they haven't all articulated full platforms yet. Um, but I think what sets us apart is that we are very much a decarceral campaign. Um, we, a perfect example, a couple other campaigns have said that they oppose cash bail um, for low-level nonviolent offenders. Um, we, we very much believe that we need to abolish all cash bail, that no one should ever sit in jail because of a lack of money in their pocketbook, um, no matter what they are charged with. Um, we have folks that, um, that have said that they would not charge, you know, possession, misdemeanor possession of marijuana cases, for example. That's a real popular, uh, thing both in the community and, and with some of our other, some, with some of the other candidates. Um, I have said that I won't charge any amount of marijuana. I don't think that anyone should sit in a jail cell for even one day for possessing marijuana. Um, and I've also very much pushed that we need to have a, a, a fuller, more robust conversation about decarcerating other drugs, um, that, that folks that are addicted are better treated by experts in the community, not by guards behind prison cells. Um, and so those types of things are, are really kind of what set us apart um, from the other candidates. And then, you know, the interesting thing is, and I, I think I mentioned this when I emailed you, is I actually know Broward County pretty well um, because my grandmother lives there. In fact, my grandmother lives in Parkland, and uh, mm -hmm. she lives less than a mile from uh, the school and. And I was actually at the school site less than a month after the shooting. Uh, so I got uh, all these photos of uh, the memorial and everything. It was really uh, heart-wrenching to, uh, mm -hmm. to witness. Um, how was that affecting the backdrop of this race? Uh, it, it, it promises to have a pretty dramatic impact um, on the race. The, the, the trial is set for the end of January. Um, and so there's a very good chance that we're going to be campaigning during this trial. Um, and it has the, the, the obviously the uh, shooting itself 
not only had a, a terrible, terrible impact on the families and the students involved, um, but it, it very much both brought out the best in us and the worst in us. Um, I think what I mean by that is, right, we had so many young people um, rise up and uh, organize and, and, and have sustained this incredible movement um, to take on gun violence. Um, but we have also had a really kind of nasty um, fights with each other about the appropriate role of school discipline and um, police in our schools um, that has, uh, you know, uh, divided parents, it's divided teachers, um, and that's been really hard. Um, the trial itself uh, is giving us a, a uh, an opportunity to talk about the death penalty um, and both talk about mental illness in the context of the criminal justice system. Um, the the shooter, uh, immediately after he was arrested through his lawyers, offered to uh, plead guilty for a life sentence, um, and that offer has stayed on the table. The state attorney has rejected it. Um, he is intending to go forward on a trial that will last probably almost a year. Um, it, it, it's going to have hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Um, and the trauma, um, I'm very, very, very concerned about the trauma that that trial is going to have uh, on our community again. Um, the building where the shooting happened is still standing. Um, the Florida legislature allocated uh, quite a bit of money both to tear it down and replace it, but our state attorney has um, insisted that it stay up uh, so that he can kind of parade jurors through it. Um, and so kids and, and you know, students and teachers and parents and, and people in the community still have to walk by or drive by that building every day. Um, the cost, the economic cost to the uh, trial um, is going to be huge. The, the estimate is already that it's going to be about $7 million just for the trial. And then, of course, millions and millions more um, if they were to succeed on getting the death penalty. Um, and then the, the psychological cost to the kids and the witnesses that have had to endure. We have depositions in Florida, so they've already had to endure. Uh, many of them have already had to endure depositions where they've had to recount you know, the worst day of their lives um, to complete strangers. Um, and when this goes to trial, they're going to have to do it again in a courtroom in front of the media um, that will not only re-traumatize them, but will be watching. I mean, us as an entire community will be watching and, and will be forced to kind of go through this every single day. Um, and so it's, it's really... Um, it's it, it, I'm very, very concerned about kind of how we as a community will respond to that. Um, and I just think that, you know, it, it would it would have been much better for all of us if uh, if the state attorney had accepted that deal, let him go sit in a sit in a room somewhere staring at four walls where we don't have to hear from him again. And, you know, I guess my first question was going to be, you know, what would you do differently? But I think you've kind of answered that. But I'm curious as to 
uh, the prosecutor's motivation. After all, he's not running for uh, re-election, so it's not political. He must just believe in it? I think this case puts him in the position of if he doesn't seek the death penalty on this case, then how can he justify seeking the death penalty on any case? Um, to me, um, the death penalty is a medieval relic um, that has no place in civilized society. And so I, I don't believe that it, it should be sought in any case. We know that it's not about the worst of the worst. It's about race. It's about poverty. It's about mental illness. Um, we know that it's more expensive than a life sentence is. We know that it doesn't cause any real deterrence. Um, and to me, at, you know, as Brian Stevenson says, the, the question is not whether somebody deserves to die, um, but whether we deserve to kill. And I just think we are, we are very imperfect people. Um, our government is certainly imperfect. And, um, and so to me, the, you know, the death penalty shouldn't, uh, we should not still have the death penalty. Broward County is actually one of only 3% of all counties in the nation that still actively um, gets death verdicts. Um, but, you know, to go back to your question, the state attorney has sought the death penalty routinely for the last 44 years. This is obviously the biggest uh, mass murder that he has ever seen. And so it, it's it, to, he's in a position where if he doesn't seek it on this case, then what case could he possibly seek it on? Um, and to me, the answer to that is, is he shouldn't seek it on it. And so does this become the central issue in this race or does it get back uh, at some point to kind of the progressive prosecution agenda? I think it's, it's too early to tell that um, because the trial hasn't started yet. Um, we are very much a community that uh, there are other issues that have been at the forefront of our criminal justice discussion for the last several years. Um, direct file is one of them. In, in Florida, Florida is one of the few states in the country where prosecutor has absolute discretion to charge a child as an adult. He doesn't have to go to a judge. Um, he doesn't have to get any kind of uh, in, in court approval. Um, if a kid is charged with a felony, then then the prosecutor can just do it, which has created a situation where in Florida, we have more kids that are charged uh, as adults with felonies than any other state in the nation. The next state isn't even really close. Broward County has been a huge part of that. Um, and the racial disparity um, in both direct file and obviously the, the, the entire rest of the criminal legal system um, is, very, is something that it has very much dominated the, the conversation, um, I think, over the last few years. Whether those issues uh, continue to be talked about or whether we get drowned out by uh, the death penalty proof situation, um, I guess, remains to be seen. I don't think that will happen. I think 
you know, on the ground here that there are so many folks that are uh, so much wanting of a, of a different system um, that, that care about these other issues. Um, but I guess it, it remains to be seen. One last question on that. Uh, are you the only candidate of the eight Democrats that has come out against the death penalty in the shooting case? Uh, no, there has only been one. Well, there's only been one other candidate that I am aware of who has said anything about it. And uh, he has said that he doesn't think that the state is going to get the death penalty in the case. He didn't really say whether he believed in it or not. But I think this is a, I think for the other candidates, this is such a, uh, a heated issue in our community that a lot of the other candidates at this point are uh, scared to take a stand on that. Um, but, you know, I think that it's something that our voters need to know. Um, sorry, I, I have one more on that, and then I'll move on. Um, what What do the families want? Uh, are Are they in favor of the death penalty, or do they want this over? Uh, so there was a one of the, the father of one of the teachers that was killed took out an op-ed in our local newspaper a few weeks ago, uh, saying that he was against it. Um, that uh, a death penalty trial would be extraordinarily traumatic to him, his family, the other families, and that it would not bring them closure. Um, I don't know that any other, you know, I don't know that there's been a vote count uh, as to the other families as to, as to where they stand. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, I read a, um, a book on Tim, Timothy McVeigh um, obviously the Oklahoma uh, city bomber and the families were really divided. Uh, there were some families that just, you know, they wanted them to fry and they wanted to fry them twice. Um, some of them wanted them fried uh, or hung, uh, you know, in the town square and others were very against it. They, they didn't think it was going to bring them closure. They felt like it was reopening the wounds. Um, and, and so it was really interesting to see, you know, you always hear, oh, the victims, the victims, the victims, but the victims are really divided and, and it actually seems to come down to what they believe beforehand. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true in this case as well. Um, you know, I have spoken with, uh, just in my work, I've spoken with uh, victims in other cases who uh, were for it at the time um, of, you know, the losing their loved one. Um, but 20 years later, it had to be, you know, uh, dragged through a court system, um, having to retell their story um, of the worst day of their lives that, that so many of them just uh, recognize that there's no real closure in it. Um, and that even after somebody is executed, um, there's no real closure. In it. And so, uh, you know, I think you, with, with the families in, in, in the Parkland shooting, um, you certainly don't uh, blame anybody for wanting what they would want if something like that happened to my kid. I think I'd probably want him dead myself. Um, but the, uh, I guess, process, in which 
the death penalty is actually done in this country. Um, and uh, I think the fallibility of, of people, fallibility of the government, of our decision makers, um, renders it something that is just not uh, not something that we should have in, in civilized society. Um, so really moving on this time. Uh, so I was reading <laughs> an article um, yesterday or today, and the challenger to the DA in Harris County, Texas, so that's Houston, um, mm-hmm. was talking about decriminalization of sex work. And we noticed this is, this is, this is Audia Jones. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and so I, you know, we noticed that, uh, you've taken that position as well and was hoping you could kind of elaborate on it. Uh, sure. I, I don't think the government should be in the business of regulating what consenting adults do with their bodies. I think that, you know, that's a, the, the, the first and foremost is that me as a, man in a decision-making position of the state attorney, I have no right to tell other people, uh, consenting adults, what they should and should not do with their bodies. Um, And so there is a moral issue to it. Um, But there's also a, uh, you know, a a criminal justice component of this is, is that we shouldn't be using our resources to lock up folks that pose no harm to us. Um, even if it's just for a night, even if it's then to find them, um, we should be focusing our efforts on, on uh, things that actually help keep us safe. Um, it isn't just uh, sex work that, that I think we need to decriminalize. It's other you know, poverty-based offenses um, and other morals-based offenses like you know, possession of marijuana, uh, trespass, loitering. Um, I don't think that the criminal justice system is, those are not criminal justice issues. Um, and we shouldn't be spending our time on those. Um, and, and just one more thing with the, with the sex work, um, we have a very uh, significant uh, human trafficking problem here in, in, in South Florida. And there are lots and lots of sex workers who are um, start off as, as as consenting sex workers who are abused, who are uh, manipulated and taken advantage of, be- and because the industry is so underground, uh, they have nowhere to turn to. Um, and so I think bringing it out of the underground actually keeps folks safer. Uh, it keeps folks safer, both from those that would harm them, also uh, their uh, you know own personal health. Um, and so I just, I don't see any benefit, uh, and in fact see lots of detriment to uh, incarcerating sex workers. Um, and are you planning to implement programs like a uh, convictions integrity unit or a sentence review unit or something like that? Uh, both. Um, the it's funny you mentioned that we did not have a conviction review unit for uh, decades. Um, when I I announced in March, and part of my platform was that I, I was going to create a conviction review unit. Um, and maybe two months ago, uh, 
a year and a half before he's going to step down, our sitting state attorney uh, created uh, what he calls the conviction review unit. Um, it's basically one lawyer who used to work for the attorney general's office um, who is reviewing convictions, which is a good thing. Um, but I think we need something much more robust. We need to fill it with uh, public defenders and civil rights lawyers who know why and how wrongful convictions happen. Um, we need to make it independent and give it its own investigators. Um, we have had, like I said, 44 years of one state attorney and very, very, very little check on any of his convictions. Um, and yet we know that there have been a number of wrongful convictions, death penalty convictions that have been uh, folks that have been exonerated from right here in Broward County. So that is extraordinarily important. Um, we also very much need uh, a sentence review unit, uh, a group of folks that will look at old sentences, um, folks sitting in prison for decades um, who pose pose no threat to us now, many of whom didn't pose a threat to us back when we sentenced them back then. Um, and so I think that is a really, really great way to uh, decarcerate and, and, and begin this process of, of dismantling mass incarceration here. Um, and what is your view of police accountability and how your office might implement that? Yeah, that's also one of the really big issues that I think folks are talking about. We had a really high profile um, police beating a few months ago that made national news. A, a, a 15 year old kid was um, hanging outside of McDonald's with his with his friends. Uh, police went to uh, was arresting another kid for a trespass, and and this kid kind of went up to take the kid's phone and police pepper sprayed him and then, and then beat his head into the pavement um, and it was all caught on camera. Uh, they have been charged, which is good. Um, I think that we should have, right now, the folks that are charging police are part of the state attorney's office. Um, there is a unit for it, um, but it's not, it's not independent of the rest of the office. Uh, assistant state attorneys come and go out of the unit um, and so that creates a real potential for a conflict, uh, especially when they're relying on these officers to uh, secure convictions in other cases. Um, I think that it should be independent prosecutors that investigate and uh, prosecute these cases, folks that are former public defenders, folks that uh, know how this impacts our community. Um, every day and folks that will be aggressive in, in doing it. So earlier this week, I was in San Francisco and I met with Chesa Bodan, uh, who, uh, of course, just won in San Francisco as a progressive prosecutor. And one of the th first things he's going to be working on is kind of a restorative justice program. Is that something that you're planning to look into as well? Yeah, we have no restorative justice programs here in Broward County, and, and it's sorely needed. Um, it's particularly needed for what we would, what the system considers a uh, violent felony. Um, right now, there is no diversion uh, opportunities at all for folks that are charged with 
burglary or robbery, um, uh, crimes that while uh, certainly victimize people, um, don't usually result in any kind of physical harm. Um, And I think those are the folks that if we're really going to decrease our prison population, that's the best place to do it. Um, And so I, I, I am very much looking forward to kind of creating a robust, smart, purposeful um, uh, restorative justice program that will help us uh, both attune to the needs of our victims um, and give them justice that they deserve uh, while also making our communities much, much more safer in the sense that we're not just throwing these folks away, throwing them into a prison and then watching them get out a couple of years later. So if you're elected, uh, what is the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to instruct my assistant to no longer ask for cash bail. Uh, I'm going to instruct my assistant not to direct file any child. Uh, and I'm going to instruct my assistants not to charge any possession of marijuana cases. Um, those are really the easiest three things that we can do on day one. They don't dismantling mass incarceration is not going to be easy. It's not going to be done in one day. Um, but I think those are three huge components of it that 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 can be done on day one. And uh, finally, um, who is lining up to back you at this point? Uh, we are we are very much running a progressive grassroots campaign. Um, we have activists in the community. We've got um, the youngest uh, city commissioner in the county is, is backing us. We have returning citizens that are backing us. Um, we're going out every weekend with um, a whole bunch of people going door to door to to get our message out. Um, and, and voters are, are responding to that. Um, we do, we are not taking any money from the cash bond industry. Um, in fact, cash uh, bail bondsman has already donated thousands of dollars to um, a couple of our opponents. Um, but we've got people. And uh, I think that's how we win this race. Well, I very much appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. That was Joe Kimock, a candidate for state attorney in Broward County, Florida, and his election is a ways off. It's in August of 2020, Um, but uh, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwell. Join us again next time for another episode. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music 
at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.